Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Hey, uh, stay standing for just a minute. We're going to uh, have a time of prayer. We mentioned this uh, in the midweek memo, if you got that already, but uh, this past week. uh, I kind of unplugged from media stuff uh, on the weekend, and so I missed all the stuff that happened in Buffalo. And then the following day on Sunday, there was a shooting at a church, Taiwanese Presbyterian Church in uh, in L.A. And what I would like to do is just pray for those things as people have gathered today uh, to celebrate uh, who Jesus is and what he has done. Some are doing amidst tragedy. Um, s- some are doing amidst uh, uh, racially motivated hatred and murder. I mean, that, that's what we're talking about. Um, heaven is going to be hell for racists. Every tribe and tongue and nation all over the place. Like, man. So, so we want to pray that the church would be the church. That's what we want to pray. So would you join me in that? Uh, Father, for uh, the church gathered in Buffalo, Big C Church gathered in Buffalo, as they try to piece together um, how they respond, as they try to step forward and be uh, voices of clarity and hope in the midst of you know, some really terrible stuff. God, we pray for them. We pray that you would be um, uh, in them what they need in order to be through them what the city needs. Brokers of hope. Dealers in peace. Let them be that today. And for um, particularly the church in L.A., the 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 Taiwanese congregation there that suffered that. I, God, we just mercy over that and over them and may the way that they respond um, not only glorify Jesus, but let the gospel go forward as a result of it. Rally other bodies of Christ around them uh, to help them do and be exactly what they need. We bless them now and we pray for us as we open up your word. Um, please open us up to your word. Why don't you take just a moment, finish that prayer on your own. So Jesus, we commit these things to you in your name and for your sake and for your kingdom among us. And everybody said, amen and amen. Thank you so much. You can grab a seat. Uh, For those of you watching online, a big hello to you. Really grateful that you've chosen to join us. Anything that you want us to know about, uh, you can just leave in the comment section of whatever platform you're watching on there. Uh, For those of us in the room, a big welcome. My name's Trent. I have the privilege of being the pastor here. If you want to communicate something to us, number one, that you were here, for instance, if you're a guest with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can use that um, contact card there in front of you. Or uh, if you've got a prayer request, the other side of that card, you can just fill out in, uh, in the box back there uh, on the circle table on your way out. You can drop it there. If you are uh, someone who gives on per- in person instead of online, uh, feel free to drop um, uh, any giving that you do today right there. Okay. Um, congratulations uh, to all you seniors and uh, those who've uh, already graduated, those who are still uh, got, got something ahead of them today, uh, g- good for y'all. Stay at it. Follow Jesus. That's what I would say, because goodness knows we need people to do that. Um, today, we're going to start our journey through the book of Amos. Everybody say Amos. 
Amos. Uh, it's in that same section of the um, Old Testament that we have been in with Habakkuk. And uh, I've been honestly asking God, because we've got Habakkuk, we just finished, uh, and then we're going to go um, through Amos. And then uh, in the fall, we're going to work on James. And um, that feels like heavy work um, that's going to be uh, done here. And I've been asking God, like, God, why in the world uh, do, does it, this feel so, you know? And, and I, I think here's the reason. Uh, th- there is a conversation happening, and it just kind of clicked for me um, yesterday. There's a conversation happening in, in some circles, um, and, and here's the argument being made. We can't be like this, just fill in whatever this is. Because if we're like this, then we don't win. We can't be like this, because if we're like this, then we don't win. Church family, Jesus got up from the dead. We win, okay? We get to be obedient precisely because he's the king. He's the Lord. We don't uh, follow Jesus, his commands, because they're pragmatic. We follow them because they're his commands. And so today, as we launch into Amos, uh, in the fall, as we work our way through James, I just want to say to us, I want to encourage you, and all of you seniors out there, listen, um, there will be moments when uh, your choice to follow Jesus will look nuts to everybody around you. Do it anyway. Do it anyway, because you follow his commandments not because they get you somewhere, not because they're acceptable, not because they're, you follow Jesus because they, you follow the commands of Jesus because they are his commands. That's what you do. So the book of Amos, uh, if you uh, need a Bible that you can open in your lap, there's some on the side of the tech booth that, back there. If you uh, are a user of the Bible app, feel free to open it and find our live event. Um, we're going to read a lot of the book today, two chapters today. Everybody geared up for that? Okay, there will be points where you will want to say amen. So let's go ahead and practice. Come on, come on. Now, there are points where you're going to be, nope, I don't like that. So let's try that one. Nope, I don't like that. Okay, either at any point, either way, feel free to just let, let one of those fly, okay? Amos chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, when he, um, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. Pause, just give you a little bit of historical setting. Uh, this is the point in the mid-8th century, so about 760 B.C., if that helps, um, where... Uh, the, the kingdom of uh, what was the kingdom of Israel under David and Solomon has been divided into a northern kingdom called Israel and a southern kingdom called Judah. Those are the two kingdoms that we have there. They've been divided for about 160 years. Uh, they've had some uh, spats. They've had some wars. They fought other people. They fought themselves. They fought all sorts of people. Like, but this is where we are uh, well over a century uh, into, into this kind of dual kingdom thing. Uh, Amos is from Tekoa, which is a little bit south of um, Jerusalem and he is going to the northern kingdom, okay? He's prophesying to the northern kingdom. He's a small business owner. Uh, he's among the shepherds of Tekoa, probably managed uh, some flocks there. And, uh, and God, in verse 2, and, and he said, this is Amos speaking, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. The Lord speaks and he speaks from Jerusalem. It's not what the people of Israel wanted to hear. They wanted their own version uh, of how God would speak and when. It's not the content they wanted to hear and it wasn't the timetable. Anybody else have that problem every so often? God, I don't think I like what you're saying. I don't like how you're saying it. And I don't like the fact that it's going to take a while to get there. Anybody? 
This is the part. You either say amen or nope, don't like that. This is this. We may need more practice. Uh, three truths today. They fall out of the text. I want to encourage you um, with the last one. The first two are just tough pills to swallow. There's the, that's the reality. You ready? Chapter th- 1, verse 3. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. So I will send a fire upon the house of Hazael and uh, shall devour the strongholds of Ben-Hadad. I will break the gate bar of Damascus, cut off the inhabitants of Valley of Avon, and him who holds the scepter from Beth Eden and the people of Syria will go into exile to, um, to curse, says the Lord. Amen, yeah? Aren't you so glad you came to church? Here's truth number one. And this is Hebrew poetry, okay? It's, it's not what you and I normally traffic in. That's my best guess. Uh, but here's truth number one. Uh, there is evil out there. There is evil out there. In the world, there is evil. We're going to look at um, seven different expressions of this. Let, let me just start with a bit of an explainer for three transgressions and for four. It's a poetic um, expression. Uh, three, meaning like, boy, it's all you can handle. Did anybody grow up like this in East Texas? I grew up. Boy, it's all that and a bag of chips. Anybody grow up with that saying? Th- this, is, this is like that. For three transgressions, and a fourth one, like all you want and a little bit more. In other words, uh, it's all the sin that they could handle and, and more. And when you add three and four, you get, you engineers, three and four, seven. That's very good. Thank you. Is seven a fairly important number in the Bible? Expressing fulfillment, like, the, like you, you, you are filled up with this stuff. And it starts with Damascus and its brutality. Look what he says in verse 3 again. Uh, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. They thresh Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. Uh, the way that you did this back in the day, you'd throw stuff on the ground. And the way that you would thresh it is you drag these heavy things over it. And Amos is using that as a picture of how Damascus is treating these others. Verse 6, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Because they carried into exile a whole people to deliver them up to Edom. So I will send fire upon the wall of Gaza and shall devour her strongholds. I'll cut off the inhabitants of Ashdod, him who holds a scepter um, from Ashkelon. I will turn my hand against Ekron and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, says the Lord. So you've got Damascus and their brutality. Here's Gaza. They, I mean, there's nothing new under the sun. They were trafficking. That, that would be our word for it today. Slavery. Snatching people up from one place, Hitchcock, small town like that, transporting them out to Abilene or somewhere to be used to their own ends. That's what we're talking about. Verse nine, thus says the Lord for three transgressions of Tyre and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they delivered up a whole people in Edom. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Uh, And did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. That's betrayal. Tyre's sin is betrayal. Previously, they had been in good relationship with Israel, the the Davidic kingdom of Israel, um, and now they're betraying it. So I will send fire upon the wall of Tyre. It shall devour her strongholds. Brutality, trafficking, betrayal. Verse 11, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because he pursued his brother with the sword and cast off all pity, not just most of it, all of it. And his anger tore perpetually and he kept his wrath forever. So I'll send fire upon Taman. It shall devour the strongholds of Basra. And so Edom, this violence without pity, 
Can anybody picture in their mind what violence without pity may look like? Do we have any modern day examples of violence? With okay. There's evil out there. Verse 13, for three transgressions, uh, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the Ammonites and for four. Uh, if you've got little ones next to you, just I'm going to read fast. Um, for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they've ripped open pregnant women in Gilead that they might enlarge their border. So I will kindle a fire in Rabah and shall devour her strongholds with shouting on the day of battle, with a tempest in the day of the whirlwind. Their king shall go into exile, he and his princes together. In Ammon, the Ammonites, there's atrocity that you can barely speak of. Under no circumstance, under no moment in history is that not an absolute atrocity. Chapter 2, verse 1, there's evil out there. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Moab and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because he burned to lime the, the bones of the king of Edom. And so I will send a fire upon Moab. It shall devour the strongholds of Kerioth and Moab shall die amid uproar, amid shouting and the sound of the trumpet. I will cut off the ruler from its midst and will kill all the princes with him, says the Lord. This kind of dishonor, you, you dug up bones, burned it, and then cast it out. Verse four. Last one for now. Thus says the Lord for three transgressions of Judah and for four. So just pause. Don't, don't, don't. Like all these other places you may not be so familiar with. But Amos, where's he from? He's from Judah. Tokoa, the city in Judah. So he's about to take up a diatribe against his own people. For three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have rejected the law of the Lord and, and have not kept his statutes, but their lives have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. So I will send a fire upon Judah and it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. So here we've got Judah's um, disobedience. Now, um, they, they should know better, but it doesn't, doesn't count for much. They should do better. But it doesn't count for much. And so here we've got this, this I mean, absolutely, Amos is just waylaying um, all of these different areas, uh, all, all of these different little kingdoms, all these little different fiefdoms to say, hey, listen, there is evil out there and let's not lose that moment to say that's evil. That's wrong. That's atrocity. That's violence. Uh, that's disobedience. That's this. That's don't, don't lose. Don't lose that. So here's what I want to do. I want to ask three questions. Uh, number one, do we have an explanation for this? Or is just Amos just raging? He's just mad. Do we have an explanation for this? And what's the answer to that? Yes, we do. It's sin. Sin hardens, it, it numbs our heart. And then ultimately, it hardens our heart, putting calluses on our hearts. This is how the Bible talks about it in Ephesians chapter 4. You can go look it up in verse 17, 18, 19. Paul is describing people who don't know God, and he says, because of their own sin, their hearts have grown callous. It is rubbed up against them, rubbed up against them, rubbed up against them, and instead of turning to God, what they have done is just let it rub and let it rub and let it rub, and they developed a callus. So they don't even feel the sin anymore. And listen, there are real problems. There are international problems today. 
There are national problems today. There are local problems today. There's family problems today. There's church problems. There's all these problems. And it really boils down to, I mean, yes, there are policies that we should put in place. There are things that we should be ready for. All of that's true, but it boils down to sin. And so our best response as the people of God, our best response, not the only response, hear me, please, not the only response, but our best response is to say, that's sin, and we know how to deal with sin. We take it to Jesus. That's what we do. It matters who's in Washington, but sin is the issue. It matters who's making economic policies, but sin is the issue. It matters what's going on on the other side of the world, but sin is the issue. And so sin that numbs and hardens the heart, we have to deal with by bringing it to him. So question number one, do we have an explanation? Yes, I think actually that's the best explanation for the world in the way that it is. Amos even speaks against his own people to say, hey, that kind of superficial religion that's socially acceptable, God doesn't find it acceptable. And that's who you need to be most worried about. Second question is this, can we ignore it? I mean, if it's out of sight and out of mind, can we just go, hey, I mean, that's their problem. That's their problem. Um, To you seniors who are stepping into um, college campuses, uh, whether it be up in College Station or here more local or wherever you may go, Can you just ignore it? Here's what I would challenge you with, encourage you with. Hear from the book of Amos. Um, God has given you language to, to understand and to say what is evil. And I think we need to employ that. It's pretty clear about where God stands on these kind of things, on these atrocities, on these other issues. God has given us language to say that's evil. And I don't think we need to lose that. And furthermore, he has given us a universe that is a moral universe to live in. Everybody else in the world may think, oh, well, this isn't really how the universe works. But the reality is the one who made the universe set it up to, with a moral framework so that there is right and there is wrong. There is good and there is evil. There is true and there is falsehood. There is um, goodness and there is wickedness. God has given us language and he's given us this moral universe to live in. And we don't need to surrender those things. We don't need to surrender those things. And, and furthermore, I just if you are an out of sight, out of mind kind of person, here's what I want to encourage you. Um, what we tolerate today may be very well celebrated for the, in the next generation. This may be that moment where you're like, nope, don't like that. But because we live in a moral universe, that may very well be true. We don't have to be mad about it. In fact, I don't think we should be. We don't have to be like, Arr! I don't think we should be. But we do live in a moral universe and we do have language to address moral issues. And I think we should do so. Second, uh, excuse me, third question. Do do we then cheer the judgment? Do we cheer? Do we cheer the judgment? For three transgressions of pick your, pick your least favorite spot, Dallas. You know what I mean? Like for three transgressions of Dallas and for, for if you're from Dallas, it's fine. We're not judging you. God, God will, but we won't. 
It's a joke, people. It's a joke. It's a joke. When they get it, do we cheer? Go get them. Yeah. Like we would cheer a sports team losing, you know, that city's going down. Like, yeah. Do we cheer? I don't, I don't think that's the right response. Here's the way I said this. I, there's a difference uh, between go get them, God, and uh, God, please do what's right. There, there's a difference there. Sometimes I feel go get them, God. Anybody with me on that? Sometimes I feel, oh, God, would you? I mean, like, listen. There are things happening on the international stage right now that directly impact my family. And every so often, I'm like, yeah, go ahead. Go get them. Absolutely. But I think the, the better way to pray is, God, please do what's right. Because the world doesn't need my vengeance through your hand. The world needs you to do what's right. And furthermore, I just want to set this up via geography. Can we do this? There's evil out there, and I want to set this up via geography. All right, so here's kind of the basic take on the Middle East uh, in Amos' time, 8th century B.C. You kind of got the big players there, named out several of them here. Damascus, you can see, Tyre, Gaza, Moab, Edom, Ammon, uh, where the Ammonites are, Judah. Okay, so that's kind of where we are. So when he launches into his poetic uh, takedown, Here's kind of the things that happens. When he starts naming names, you get this first kind of big circle out there, right? Like he's doing it all around. And so he starts naming names and we're like, yeah, we don't like the Yankees or the Red Sox. I mean, I know there's a couple of Red Sox fans, but I mean, we don't don't like them. Yeah, go get them, God. That's right. And then he says and keeps going, right? He doesn't stop just with those. He starts bringing it in a little bit more. And so You've got other people that you're now cheering against when he's like, oh, yeah, let's get them. Oh, yeah, let's get them, too. That's great what it means. And you, you get one more where it's even closer where you're like, oh, yeah, now we're really talking. I mean, like, we don't like the whatever. You just, again, pick your favorite situation. And then even one more circle right there, right? And you're just like, oh, go get them, God. Go get them, God. Go get them, God. Yeah, seven times for three transgressions and for four. Oh, it's God from the top rope, right? This is what we want. And then what we find is the people of Israel, the people of Israel that Amos is going to speak to are the ones that God is going to speak against. So do we cheer the judgment? Well, if we do, we may just want to be careful because we may not quite have the center of the target fully in view yet. If I'm in Israel and God's getting on Ammon and he's getting on Moab, he's going to take out Damascus, we don't like those people from Tyre. No, 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 no. Oh, yeah, Judah. Man, that's a little brother that left a long time ago. Let him go. Let him go. Let, go get him, God. Oh, you're talking to us now? This is what Amos has done. Chapter 2, verse 6. Thus says the Lord for three transgressions of Israel. And at that point, you hear the record scratch. And everything stops. For three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Because they sell the righteous for silver, the needy for a pair of sandals, those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way they afflicted. Three big sins that um, Amos identifies here. 
Um, again, just some of the ears in the room. I just want to highlight them uh, without doing it a lot. I'll leave some of it um, to your own reading. The first one is injustice. You see um, in verse 6 there, they sell the righteous for silver and the needy even for a pair of sandals. pair of sandals didn't cost that much back then. And instead of helping, what are they doing? They're taking from them. Injustice is when I surrender, I'm going to love my neighbor for I'm going to take what I can from my neighbor. Injustice is when I have an opportunity to be generous, but instead I'm going to be greedy. Injustice is what happens when, um, hey, I can go without in order that you can have to, hey, I can go without, but you have, so I'm going to take it. That's what we're talking about here. Through their structures, uh, through their interactions, through their relationships, through any number of other things, they were, they were working against um, all that God said was right and true. At the beginning of verse 7, those who trample the head of the poor. I mean, can you just picture that? The one in need. They trample them into the dust of the earth, turn aside the way of the afflicted. Second big sin, a man and his father, at the middle of verse 7, a man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profane. profane. There's immorality there. Um, And I will just say, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the sexual ethic holds, it holds throughout both Old and New Testaments. And furthermore, it was the sexual ethic that the the people of God embraced that was one of the markers that set them apart from the culture that was surrounding them. Inside of the covenant of marriage between husband and wife, fulfillment and expression. Outside of that circle, outside of that covenant, no. Abstinence and chastity. That's the ethic that the Bible teaches and teaches consistently. Here, instead, we had immorality. Verse 8. So they lay themselves down um, beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. And in the house of God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. So they go to worship. That's true. But they do what they want to. They worship how they want to. They think that, oh, this is going to be okay. And they just go through all these things here. We won't spend a ton of time just explaining it all. But you get the idea, hey, they're taking their religion not very seriously. And they're just doing what they want. Um, Religion like this... um, Excuse me, religion like this, I would say it this way, it it is superficial at best and at worst, at worst, which is really where Amos is going to get to come chapter five in particular, at worst, it's actually the vehicle for sin. Because we worship like this, oh, it's multiplying our sin. This is not something that God is in favor of. There's injustice, there's immorality, there's idolatry. And I'll just highlight a, a couple of things here very quickly. Um, verse 9 and verse 10, uh, excuse me, 9, 10, 11. Uh, I just, look at how God responds. Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them. Verse 10. Also, it was I who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Verse 11. And I raised, and I, I did, I raised up some of your sons to be prophets. What is God saying over and over again? Hey, you exist because I made you. You, you, you are in play in the world right now because of me, not because of you. And so when, when, when it comes along and we say, oh, God, well, I'll follow you as long as things go right. I'll follow you as long as it's making uh, what seems to me like it's making a difference. I'll follow you as long as I continue to win or things continue to move in the way that I want them to or whatever, whatever, whatever. Listen, we don't follow God because it's easy and we don't follow his commands because they're pragmatic. We follow because he's the one who made us and rescued us. That's what we're talking about. Otherwise, we run 
afoul of this sin of idolatry. So God doesn't tolerate the evil out there. Damascus, Tyre, uh, uh, Ammon, the Ammonites. He doesn't tolerate the evil out there. But he also doesn't tolerate the evil in here. In here. In here. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 4, verse 17. He said, judgment begins with the household of God. The people who should know better are the people that we start the conversation with. He will deal with the evil out there, but he's also going to deal with the evil right here. Okay, so third truth. Well, aren't you glad? I mean, aren't you glad you came to church so far? Like, this is awesome. There's evil out there in the world, man. Wickedness, yeah. And there's evil in our midst, even in my own heart. And I can dismiss it with my superficial religion. Man, amen, yeah. Here's hope, because there is hope. That's the third truth. There is hope. How do I know that there's hope? Look back at chapter 1, verse 2. And the, the Lord, it says, and he said, the Lord roars from Zion. He utters his voice from Jerusalem. There's hope because God is still speaking. I mean, he could have cut them off. Anybody have that moment where you're with one of your kids and they've uh, made their argument or um, said whatever they feel like they need to say and you've said, well, the declaration is, no, this is the way that we're going to do it. Uh, Well, but, and finally, does anybody ever get this parental moment where you're like, we're done? And you're just going about your business? Uh, We're kind of working on that with one of ours right now, training. Hey, you can put that in a box and we can put that up later, but right now we got other stuff to do. Like, we could be done talking, excuse me, God could be done talking to us about it, but he's not. He's speaking. And because he's speaking, there's hope. And secondly, The things that he's speaking are designed. Listen, they are designed to bring conviction. God is speaking and he's bringing conviction. And the reason why that's hopeful for you and for me today is because conviction is what drives us to repentance. It's what drives us to Jesus. It's what moves us. Here's the problem. I think so many times I don't want to be convicted. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to feel it. I don't want to wrestle with the things that are there. I don't want any of that. God is convicting. And I'm like, I don't want that. But if I don't want that, then what I am doing is damning myself to be the same person 20 years from now as I am today. Because conviction is what God uses to help us be transformed. It's what, it is the, the process by which we move forward um, in the spiritual life when there's stuff that we need to talk about. Um, if, if, if I refuse conviction, then I'll just be the same person. And what I'll have to do in my own life and what I'll have to do in my relationship with you is convince you that I'm happy all the while, knowing that it's not true. In in 2 Corinthians, Paul picks this up in the New Testament. This is kind of a New Testament version of this right here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, here's what Paul says. Verse 8, for even if I made you grieve with my letter, I don't regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a little while. Meaning, um, hey, I, I wasn't trying to be ugly, 
but I'm glad you got the message. Um, verse 9, as it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved. I wasn't trying to make you sad. But, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief, here's verse 10. Here, here it is. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. For See what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also eagerness to clear your name. Um, um, what indignation, what longing, what zeal, what punishment, and on he goes. Here's what he's saying here, that grief, when we feel that conviction, that grief is part of that process. Oh, man, I have stuck it in the ditch here. But rather than saying, well, I guess I'll just live here in the ditch for a while, we turn, we repent, we, we feel the sorrow over that, and that grief then leads us to repentance. If you grew up around church, repentance is a good Bible word. Repent is a good Bible word. If this is a new word for you, uh, I'll give you a, a, just a little primer here here on what the biblical version of repentance is. It is a twofold process. It is turning away from something. I'm turning my back now on sin, but it is turning to Jesus. It's not just turning from one and then just be like, oh, okay, what now? It's turning to Jesus because that is the way that we experience freedom. That is the way that we experience the life that he wants from us. Not just turning away, but turning to. And some people think, oh, well, I'm just going uh, to turn away. That, but that's way too superficial. What if, I don't know about you. Maybe it's just me. But if I just concentrate on turning away, it doesn't take very long before I'm thinking about that and obsessing over it. And that becomes the thing that I actually want to do anyway. Because I'm not replacing it with anything. I'm turning from sin and I'm turning to Jesus. So when, when um, repentance happens and when, excuse me, when conviction happens and I feel the grief, it's not just I'm going to sit here in my grief. That's superficial. And it's not, oh, well, I won't do that anymore. Again, how long does that last? It's I'm going to turn away from that and I'm going to turn to Jesus. That, that's the idea. It's, it's not turning from it to something else, it's turning from it to him, and it bears fruit in us. So there's hope today because repentance is the path that we take to freedom. We experience, we feel the conviction, we feel the grief wash over us, and we don't stay there. We turn to Jesus in repentance, and he changes us. It is the path to freedom. And you think to yourself, there's no way that that's true. It's the only way that it can be true. It's for us to turn from the thing that is destroying us, that's destroying um, our lives, our families, our marriages, our societies, and turning to Jesus. We've taken it to him. And I've got great news. I've got great news. If you're in here and you're feeling that, when you come to Jesus, he's not sitting there with a baseball bat ready to take you out in the shins. He's just not. The Bible says, I read it this morning. It's a glorious promise. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You come to him, you're like, uh, it's the 38th time I'm bringing this here, but I really want to turn away from it and turn to you. 38th time, I'm sorry. And I'm feeling, and he forgives you. He wants to bring about transformation in your life so that you look different, walk different, are different. For some of us, there are clear things that God has spoken to, maybe even this morning, where you're like, oh, 
I need to set that down. I need to turn away from that. I need to put that fear down. I need to put that, um, that, that, that kind of anger thing down. I need to put down this, whatever it may be. I need to turn away, and I need to turn to Jesus. For some of you, maybe it's you're turning to Jesus for the very first time. Either way, you need to know that there is hope today, not because you turn, but because he is someone who's ready to receive you. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to give us just a moment of quiet to pray. You, on your own, pray. Take a moment and think, pray. Maybe you use those three I words that we talked about, um, that problems in Israel, um, injustice, I'm not loving my neighbor, um, immorality, some expression of impurity, uh, or, um, or idolatry. I've, I've put something before God, and God is inviting you to turn away. Maybe it's none of those things, or those are not the words you want to put to it. You put it to your own words. Feel the conviction. Repent. Turn from it and turn to him, and he will receive you. We'll give you a moment just to be quiet. Frank will lead us in a song, and then Tyler's going to be back to dismiss us. In just a moment, take just a moment though. Ask God what had your name on it, what you need to do in light of that. And now, Holy Spirit, would you do um, not some of what you want to do or most of what you want to do. Would you do all of what you want to do here in this room, among these people, in my life, in their individual lives, in our life collectively? Would you do exactly what you want to do? And don't, don't let up. Don't let up until that's done. In a place where we need conviction, would you set your finger, point it out, And then, Spirit of God, would you direct us? Give us the grace to turn away from it and turn to Jesus. And Jesus, thank you that when we do, your arms are open, ready to receive us. Father, thank you that you welcome us, beckon us even, to be with you, to live with you, to be in relationship with you, to eat at your table as one of your children. There's hope today because of that. So make it our reality now even as we've talked about it. This is what we ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.